Our series is called Guilty as Charged. It's an in-depth look at Romans chapter 3. One of those ways that we know we are indeed guilty as charged, we need look no further than our mouths. As we'll see next on Graceful Truth. Join us. Like a marvelous lawyer, the Apostle Paul seeks to make the case that all, every one of us, are guilty as charged. None of us escape. Oh, some may be worse than others in this department or that department, but the fact is we are all guilty before God. And as if to prove it, he does so point by point. Today's point, out of chapter 3 of Romans, verses 13 and 14, wicked words from wicked men. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Here's Pastor Steve. Well, you can turn over in the book of Romans. We're working our way through the book of Romans. Romans, Romans chapter 3. We're working our way through this. Hopefully we'll get through uh, verse uh, 20 today, 18, 20. I've been taking our time as we go through this, and I think it's just so important to do that. Uh, I heard an illustration of a, a lady, a clerk, that was working at a, a department store in the cosmetic, at the cosmetic counter, and she'd been on her feet all day working hard and, and a lot of customers to deal with and it was getting toward closing time and there wasn't a lot of customers and frantically some man ran in and ran up to her and said, my, my wife's birthday is tomorrow. I, I don't know what to get her. Can you help me out here? What can you recommend? And she went down the counter and looked and and uh, she thought, well, we have these fragrance, fragrances here. Um, you know, this, this might be nice. And he goes, okay, well, that's good. And she set it on the table, uh, on the counter. And, and, and he goes, well, how much is it? And he, she said, well, it's $100. And uh, he goes, that's, that's too much. You know, and she goes, okay, okay, that's fine. And we'll find something else. So she goes down and she finds another smaller bottle. And, and he goes, well, how, how much is this? And he says, $50. And, Sorry, but that's just uh, too, too much for my budget at this point. And so the, the lady was getting a little frustrated, but she said, okay, that's fine. You know, I got to make a sale here. So she dug down there a little deeper and came out with a smaller little bottle. And, and he said, well, now this might work. How much is this? And she says, $25. And he said, I hate to tell you this, but, you know, do you have anything cheaper? And she's like rolling her eyes going, okay, you know. So she comes out with this tiny little bottle of the cheapest perfume they had. It was $10. It was like a little ounce. And she goes, look, this is, this is basically one of the, 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 uh, uh, the least expensive ones we had. And, and he goes, well, how much is it? And she said, what's well, $10? And he just went, <laughs> you know, don't you understand? I want something cheap. Don't you have anything cheap? And she reached under the counter and she pulled out a mirror and she held it up to the guy's face. And she said, there you go. You want something cheap? Look in the mirror. You know, mirrors do not lie, do they? Mirrors do not lie. When we look in the mirror in the morning, we get up. I don't know if you look in the mirror before you get in the shower or after. I usually look after, <laughs> except here at least there's some improvement, you know, but, uh, you know, mirrors don't lie. You can't look in a mirror and see something on your face and say, well, I just don't believe it's not there because it is there because the mirror shows you 
usually an exact representation, sometimes an enhanced representation. Some of you ladies have those special mirrors. You know, they got the little lights around them, and you look in them, and it's like, whoa, I don't know if I want to look in there. You know, your pores look this big, you know. It's just kind of crazy. I don't know why you look in those things. <laughs> but this morning we'll be looking in the mirror of God's Word. And for the past several weeks, it hasn't been a pretty picture, has it? It hasn't. Uh, I'm reminded of the doc, Dr. Harry Ironside, a wonderful preacher, preacher, and he was holding an evangelistic meeting. And after the evangelistic meeting, he was talking to some of the people, and he came up to one gentleman, and he said, Are you saved, sir? And the sir looked at him and said, No, I, I, I really can't say that I am, but I would like to be. And Harry Ironside looked at him and said, Why would you? Why would you want to be saved? Do you realize that you're a lost sinner? And the man looked back at Harry Ironside and he says, Well, yeah, I understand that. We're all sinners, right? And Harry Ironside, Yeah, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. Are you yourself a sinner? And the man looked right at Harry Ironside and he said, well, I, I suppose I am if everybody's a sinner, but I, I'm a good sinner. You know, I'm not one of those bad sinners. I'm a good sinner. And Harry Ironside looked at him and said, sir, you're not ready to be saved. See, we need to understand that whether you're good or bad sinner, I don't even know what that means. It's kind of an oxymoron. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. It makes no difference to God. The most horrible sin that you can imagine and telling a little white lie, if there is such a thing, a lie is a lie in my mind, is wrong. It's sinful before the Lord. And see, good sinners are kind of like honest liars <laughs> or upright thieves. Heard a story recently of an individual who took something that didn't belong to him. And after they took it, they looked around and they realized there was a camera there. <laughs> so they put it back. Well, they got caught. And when they were confronted, you stole something. The answer was, but, but I put it back. <laughs> I didn't really steal it. See, we, we like to think that our sin is somehow whitewashed, that it's really not as bad as it is. It's hard for most people to admit that they are a sinner. They're hell-deserving sinners. They need God's grace to be saved. Most people, I would say, view themselves as, quote, good sinners. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. They would say, hey, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm not as bad as this guy. And so we begin to compare our faults one with another. I'm not a murderer or a terrorist. I'm a pretty decent person. So, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm, I'm you know, a relatively good sinner. You know, those are some of the hardest people to reach with the gospel of Christ. The, quote, good sinners. The people who are religious in nature. Uh, the people who somehow think that because they're fulfilling their religious obligations, somehow God looks on them with favor. Maybe they faithfully attend church. Maybe they give money to the church. Maybe the church even has a little stained glass window or a pew with a placard on it saying, this donated by... So-and-so. Maybe they serve on the church board. Maybe their family's been the mainstay of the church for years and years and years. See, all those things don't matter when it comes to your salvation. 
when we look at the words of the Apostle Paul here, before we do that, I, I just want to share a little bit about what this really means to us. Because there's a lot of people who would profess Christ who have a wrong view of themselves. In this text, we see this basic principle that all people, everybody, is under sin. We all need the good news that God has provided a Savior from that sin. And so when we stop and we think of our text this morning, I want us to, and this is just basically kind of introduction here this morning, as we look through this text, we're going to see Paul changes from almost kind of lawyer verbiage to a physician. And he begins to talk about body parts, begins to talk about the throat as an open tomb. He talks about the mouth that's full of cursing and bitterness. He talks about our feet, that they're swift to shed blood. He talks about all those things, that there's no fear of God in the hearts of people. And so we want to look at this text this morning with these things in mind. And just remember, we have, we, we've come to see here clearly, the first thing we looked at was a sinful heart that everybody has. We have a, none is righteous, it says. No one understands. No one seeks God. And then we looked at verse 12. It says, all have turned away. That was the sinful character. The sinful character. No one does good. Nobody. And that's a hard thing to admit. The idea that we don't do any good? That we don't have just a little bit of goodness down deep inside of us? No. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 where the word of God says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And look at what it says. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Continuous evil. Continuous dwelling on that which dishonors God. I mean, that verse not only tells us that men and women do not do good as God counts goodness, but it actually tells us they do the exact opposite. They do evil. And not only that, but they do it continually. And it tells us that it starts in the heart. It starts internally. It rises from the thoughts, the inclinations of the heart, Genesis 6, 5 says. And it tells us that it's pervasive. It affects every inclination, that they're their deeds are only evil. And that it's also continuous. That it happens all the time. Now, you might say, well, that's Old Testament. Isn't Jesus have some kinder words <laughs> when we turn to the New Testament? Doesn't Jesus full of compassion and love and concern? And, and isn't it all about the love of Jesus? Well, let's look at some of the words just in way of our introduction. And then we'll look at the words of Paul. The words of our Lord the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say about this condition? What did he say about our sinfulness? Because you know what? He didn't mince any words. He didn't beat around the bush. There was no gray area. He told us very clearly the gravity of our human sin. In Matthew 5.13, he talked of man as the salt that has lost its savor. In Matthew 7.7, 7, he talked of the man as a corrupt tree which is bound to produce, what? Corrupt fruit. 
In Luke eleven thirteen, he talked of man as being evil. He says, you being evil know how to give good things to your children. In Matthew 12, 39, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he, he basically talked about the generation and he called them an evil and adulterous generation. In 12.45 of Matthew, he calls them a wicked generation. Over and over again, he, and throughout Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, he says that out of the heart proceeds murders, adulteries, evil thoughts, and things of that kind. In Matthew 19.8, he spoke about Moses having to give special permissive commandments to man because of the hardness of their own hearts. In Mark chapter 10, verse 18, we see a rich young ruler who approached our Lord and he said, good master, thinking, hey, I'm going to start this conversation off in the right way, right? Good master. You know what Jesus said to him? Jesus looked at him and said, there is none good but God. Jesus compared men, even the leaders of his own country, to wicked servants in the vineyard in Matthew 21. He condemned the scribes and the Pharisees who thought they were better than everybody else because of their religiosity in Matthew 23, verses 2 to 39. In John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus made a fundamental statement about man's depravity. He said, that which is born of the flesh is what? Is flesh. <laughs> That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In John six verse, or John 5, verse 40 and 42, he talks about the unwillingness to come to the grace of God. He says, you will not come to God in John 5, 40. In John 5, 42, he says, you have not the love of God. In verse 43 of John 5, he says, you receive me not. In verse 47, he says, you believe not. Over and over, there's certain things that are repeated through the Gospel of John. John 7, 7, the works, the world's works are evil. None of you keeps the law, verse 19. You shall die in your sins, John 8, 21 says. You are from beneath, John 8, 23 says. John 8, 38 and 44, he says, Your father is the devil who is a murderer and liar. <laughs> in verse 47, he says, You are not from God. In John 10, 26, he says, you are not of my sheep. John 15, 23 to 25, he says, he that hates me hates the Father. This is the way in which our Lord spoke to the leaders of the Jews. He brought forth for everybody to see their utter inability to please God in any way. He approached it from a different angle. He also showed us the blindness of man. That is his utter utter inability to know God and to understand him. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, he's basically showing us that no man knows the Father but him to whom the Son has revealed him. In Matthew fifteen fourteen, he compared men to blind, leading the blind. In Luke nineteen forty two, he mentioned that Jerusalem itself didn't even understand the purpose of God and as a result disregarded the things that concerned salvation. In John 3.18, he says, He that believed not was condemned already because he had not believed on the Son of God. 3.19, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light because their what? Their deeds are evil. In John 8.12, he said, The only one who has been reached by grace, only the one who has been reached by grace can walk not in darkness but have the light of life. 
The Lord Jesus even emphasized that it's essential for man to be saved by the mighty act of God. And he's to be rescued from his condition of misery. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts. In Matthew 9, 12, he said, the sick are the people who need a physician. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, we are those sick people who need a physician to help us and to redeem us. He said that we are the people who are burdened and heavy laden. The people who were most readily received by the Lord were those who had a sense of need, not a sense of pride, not a sense of self-sufficiency. The people he received were those who came brokenhearted, desperate, bruised, totally inadequate in and of themselves. That's who our Savior received. Those are just kind of a glimpse of what Jesus says about our condition. Now, with that in mind, turn to Romans chapter 3. I mean, what Paul says here almost seems mild in comparison to what the Lord said. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass, the snake, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Seems mild in comparison to what we just read as our Lord talking about our condition. Today I want to pick up with the next point in our outline, a sinful mouth. A sinful mouth. And it's important that we understand what he is really talking about here. He's showing us something. He turns, like I said before, from the judge to almost physician. He begins to use certain words. He says in verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Have you ever seen an open grave? Have you ever been around an open grave? In our culture, what we do is we take the body of a deceased person, we dig a hole, put them in a casket, lower them down, put the dirt on top. We cover the grave out of respect. That's one reason. But we also cover the grave just for sanitary reasons. You know, if you lived in Iraq, you would have the pleasure of maybe walking down a road and seeing heads rotting on stakes or corpses thrown alongside the road like they were a dead dog. That's not a pleasant thing. It's not a pleasant thing to walk into a graveyard where all the graves are open. That wouldn't be nice. You know, you go up the skyline there and you go, oh, oh, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful place. That's a place of dead bodies, but the scenery is wonderful. You look out, you see the Pacific Ocean. But I don't think a lot of people would be going up there if all the graves, the bodies were just kind of thrown on the lawn and rotting. You wouldn't want to go there. This is what this is speaking of, the stench from an open grave. As a chaplain, I've been around a lot of dead bodies, and a lot of times what happens, you're waiting for the coroner to show up at the crime scene or whatever, And the officers go back to their job and you're waiting there with the family and the deceased person, whatever the occasion, is covered up in the next room. And I always remember those times when it happens to be maybe in the winter months 
It's a little cooler outside. And so the house is buttoned up. And after an hour, maybe I've waited sometimes as long as four hours. You know, I start saying, you know, we need to open some windows. This, it just doesn't feel right because the body is literally decomposing. That's what happens to a dead body. And see, here what he's saying is that's what, in our fallen condition, our throats are like an open grave. You know, when you go to the doctor and he takes a little thing and they say, ah, and you say, ah, sometimes he says, okay, everything looks good. So there's cations, maybe you have a tonsillitis, you have something, oh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, he sees something he doesn't like. That's what Paul is doing. He's opening up our mouth and looking in our throat and saying, wow, this doesn't look good, folks. This isn't just something that's on the outside. You know, you can have a sore throat and look totally healthy. But boy, every time you swallow, you're reminded, I'm sick. There's something wrong with my throat. And unless you're a doctor who looks down there and finds out what it is, you're going to think, well, okay. Somebody looking at you is going to think you're fine. It says their mouths are like open graves. What that means is all that corruption, all that destruction is coming out. And he's saying this to the Jewish people. I mean, I can just imagine them standing there saying, are you talking to us, Paul? Not us. How could you say such a thing? We say the good things. We say the good stuff. And what Paul is trying to get them to understand is it doesn't matter. It comes from that which is polluted already. Notice he says there, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to what? To deceive. That verb is in the imperfect in the Greek tense. And what that means basically is that it's a continuous action. It never stops. That's all they know how to do. It's repetitive deceit. Have you ever talked to your young person about doing something wrong? And the first time it's kind of like, look, you know, you shouldn't do this. And okay, I'm sorry. All right. Don't do it again. Okay, fine. The next day it happens again. Maybe the next hour it happens again. There comes a point in time where you realize, you know what? This is becoming a habit. They're, they're deceiving. Their deception is becoming part of the way of their life and we need to stop it. So you have to do something severe sometimes to help them understand that this is not acceptable behavior. And see, for the natural man, lying and other forms of deceit are just habitual. It's a normal part of life. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 9, it describes it as flattery. And flattery appeals to what? Our human nature, it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our pride. He says they use their tongues to deceive. A flatterer, therefore, uses and abuses others. In Psalm 36, 1 to 3, David describes it this way. A man's sinfulness, it it can lead to to self-deceit. It can lead to self-flattery. He says, transgression, Psalm 36, 1 to 3, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He's telling the Jews, you know what? Yeah, you say the right thing. You teach the law. But what does it bring? It brings destruction. See, just because you hear something coming out of somebody's mouth that may seem it's got some truth in it, you better be careful. Most false teachers have just that. They have a little bit of truth. Well, you have been listening to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth, that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come and 
visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call. You can call us at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City at 650-366-9923. Questions, comments about the broadcast, maybe you'd like a copy on CD. Well, get a hold of us at 650-366-9923. We also rely upon our listeners as we continue the ministry. It is in part through your prayerful support that we're able to continue the ministry here on KFAX. So would you consider that as you contact us? Again, 650-366-9923. On the web, gracefultruth.org. And now, to close out our time together today, once again, our teacher and pastor. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to invite our listeners to our 2014 Fall Israel and Bible Prophecy Conference right here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. It will be held on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, November 7th, 8th, and 9th, right here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. This year, our conference speaker will be Dr. David Hawking. Dr. Hawking brings great insight and years of teaching experience when it comes to Bible prophecy, the nation of Israel, and how it all fits together into our current events. So please make sure you set aside November 7th, 8th, and 9th for our 2014 Fall Israel and Bible Prophecy Conference featuring Dr. David Hawking, right here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. Our conference kicks off at 7 p.m. on Friday, November 7th, and the conference is free, and there are flyers that are available for download at gracebibleonline.org. We hope to see you there. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923, or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless. God bless.